Hi, and thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your host, Nicole. You're listening to the first season of Perfectionist. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing part one of Tower of Dawn, which is called The God City. So evocative. (laughs) This episode has spoilers. For this heavy spoilers episode, we're going to be going through the plot of Tower of Dawn, just part one. And we'll kind of add our commentary as we go. This is not a replacement for the book. There's so many things we will not be able to cover. We're just going to hit the highlights and kind of talk about our feelings and thoughts about all the events that happen. And there are a lot of events that happen. So, so many buckle feelings. up. So many feelings and thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll jump right into the beginning. We kind of are introduced to Tower of Dawn with Nezrin and Kale arriving in Antica, which is a entire new world for us to be exploring in the Throne of Glass universe mm-hmm. that's being created mm-hmm. and so we are going to the southern continent i believe mm-hmm. yeah and called antica and they're going into the or i think antica is the capital of the southern continent yes i believe that you are correct and they're kind of walking up to the palace or kale and nezrin are kind of we're seeing it from both their perspective i think the first chapter is kale's perspective and the second one is nezrin's and we're just really getting that world building we're getting grounded in Antica and what we can expect from the culture of the peoples who live in Antica, um, Mm -hmm. as well as kind of why they're there, reminding everybody of like why they were sent there in the first place. Yes. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind, at least, was that there were white flags all over the city. And Mm -hmm. Nazarin explained to Kayal that that means that they're in a state of mourning. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of like as they go in because clearly like the cog and, and all of the royal members of the family are in mourning. It kind of gives like, it's kind of a, as they kind of head into Antica. Yeah. It sets the mood for what is kind of to come in mm-hmm. regards to that storyline. And it sets the readers up to kind of be on aware that that's going to be something that's important. Yes. And it kind of all, Sarah does a good job of using the fact that Nezrin is from Antica, like her father is from Antica. So she's Mm -hmm. been there before and this is part of her heritage. So she kind of uses Nezrin's character to help explain to Kale, but therefore the readers sort of the place. And that's like a really cool way to introduce the readers to Antica. It reminded me a little bit of when you first start playing a video game and you have a character like like an RPG video game and you have a character kind of taking you through the controls. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of like what it reminded me of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is the book version of that for sure. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It makes it a little less awkward though, which is Yeah. It it totally does. Like it was really well done and I appreciated that. Um, Mm -hmm. I am reading a different book right now. I won't mention the name of it because we do plan to cover it in the future, but I am reading a series right now where the difference between the writing styles are so big. Uh, The way that Sarah approached the world building in this book, I think Mm -hmm. was really well done in a way that it wasn't boring. 
at least I didn't mm-hmm. find it boring. It was um, mm-hmm. it was interesting, and it wasn't like although Nezrin did explain a few aspects of the the culture to Kaol to like help. A lot of it mm-hmm. we were also just kind of seeing through Kaol's eyes, or yeah. um, like or Irene or whatever. Um, and there were things that were happening that helped us to understand how that culture works. Uh, the compared to the other book I'm reading, there's just a lot of talk oh, where yeah. one character is literally just telling the other character, and mm-hmm. it's that is so, in my opinion, so boring to read. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than like they're telling instead of showing, right? Yeah, it feels so, a bit more forced in that right. sense. Where right. Where this is like it feels natural. It does progresses, and and if it were a movie, I feel like the camera would be like swooping through the city, and you'd really get a really good sense of Mm -hmm. where you are at. So I like having read Tower of Dawn, and then this other series that I'm in. the The contrast is just so much that Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, Tower of Dawn was really well done. Yeah, it kind of helps to have a reference point. Sometimes you don't appreciate something until you see it done in a way maybe you don't like as much. Yeah. Or just totally. differently and you you can just then appreciate it. Yeah. So let's just recap real quick. Mm-hmm. Why is Kaol in Antica? And like he's there for two reasons, right? Yeah. First of all, he's paralyzed. So, and the healers at the Torre Chesme, uh, they're the best healers in the world. And so he's gone there to hopefully have his, like his back repaired. And mm-hmm. he's looking to create an alliance with the Coggin for Aelin. Yes. So that's the whole reason that he's there. Mm-hmm. And Nezrin goes because they're kind of in a bit of a, well, I think at this point they're in a relationship. But yeah. even before that, it was kind of, <laughs> we left off in Queen of Shadows with them kind of sort of being in a relationship, but I think it's established by the beginning of this book that their kind of journey over has Mm -hmm. cemented that relationship a bit more. And then also she is now the King's guard for Prince Dorian. So she's kind of acting, captain of the guard. So she's acting on behalf of Dorian as well by being there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So something that I I just again like want to mention about Kaol and Nazrin was that although it was basically like we're in a relationship, I was kind of like, are you? Because <laughs> we didn't really mm-hmm. see too much of that. Yeah, I like how like we'll talk about it, I think as the story progresses more, but I like how it was done because they are in a relationship, but it's not like a stereotypical relationship. I don't think they both are very free in a way yeah yeah it's almost like it's it almost reminds me of like people nowadays who are like what are we (laughs) are we exclusive (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I think they're kind of in that stage of are we exclusive are we not exclusive yes it's not like a super serious relationship but yeah yeah they're they're cuddly so I just want to quickly talk about the differences we've seen in the world, like in Rifthold and then Mm -hmm. in Antica um, and how they contrast. So like, what did you think about the way that they contrasted? Does like, in comparison to Antica, does Rifthold give you like, remind you of a certain place in our world on earth? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I actually looked this up because I was quite interested to see what other people thought about the different territories of this world versus our own world. And there seems to be some debate, but also like some consensus about the different places. And Rift Told is giving very like USA, Western worlds. Yeah. Um, And then Antica is kind of supposed to be more like some people um, I read were thinking more Middle Eastern, like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Other people were thinking more like different parts of Asia, that sort of thing. Or maybe a combination of those two cultures. I was thinking also like Arabia, like Saudi Arabia. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Egypt, but not. Yes, no. Like, yeah. yeah. That that very, very broad region of the world. Yeah. It covers quite a few different places. And I I think that um, as I was reading it, it seemed like a lot of elements from very differing, like our world places, very different cultures kind of combined to yes. influence Antica. Yeah, absolutely. Because there was also uh, part of the story that um, made me think of like the Kalahari Desert. And like, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's just really cool, I thought. It is really cool. <laughs> but very much not like US Western culture. No, so different. And mm-hmm. I like found that so interesting to read about. Yeah. No, I really liked it. And I also liked how very early on you got the sense that there, it was almost more peaceful there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rift told it seemed a little more like people were more selfish, a little more out for themselves. Yeah. A little more individualistic. Mm-hmm. And whereas in Anticut seemed a bit more collective, more mm-hmm. understanding. Like they had like yeah. 30 different gods or something. Like I could, that number could be way off, but I'm pretty sure it's a They high have number. all these different gods. Yeah. And like, it's very tolerant, like yeah. the ability to be able to worship how you choose. Yeah, totally. So that is, I think, we, I don't think you would see that in Rifthold. I think they make that very clear that that's not something you would see in Rifthold. No. And, but also Rifthold was in such a huge state of unrest. Like they've just had their king killed. Um, They've been yeah. under attack. Like- <laughs> Yeah, but but even just like you're talking about just the culture when things are not necessarily so mm-hmm. uh, disrupted. Yeah, you're totally right. Things are definitely um, the, well. They they're way more stable there because the cognate has been in power forever. It seems mm-hmm. right. Whereas yeah. yeah, like Rifthold is in this sort of this fluid state of unrest. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And it's not a perfect society by any means. I mean, how they come to power is different than yes. I think yeah. you would expect. Yeah, it's but. very different. So like we, because we learn, let's just rewind really quick. So aside from all this world building discussion and everything like mm-hmm. that, uh, so Kaol and Nezrin, as we mentioned, were walking through the city and Nezrin was kind of like, discussing different aspects of the culture like we mentioned the white flags and all all this different stuff and that's awesome um but they go like basically straight to the coggin and they stand before the coggin and his children so this is really interesting because then we kind of learn about how heirs are actually chosen so it isn't like oh you're the Mm -hmm. eldest you're automatically the heir the coggin actually chooses his heir amongst the children so it's not based on gender, it's not based on birth order, 
it's mm-hmm. actually a very much like a choice. So you can imagine that the competition between siblings probably could get pretty fierce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and seems sometimes like, they don't it, have... like historically even deadly. Yes, it sounds like often it gets deadly. It's almost mm-hmm. expected to get to brutal levels. So you can imagine like when you're talking about sibling rivalry, the favoritism is like super hardcore, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, basically. Although like maybe not necessarily because just because you chose somebody to rule doesn't mean they're your favorite. They might just be the best for the job. Yeah, so. I do like that aspect of it that it is about picking someone who is going to like be the best for the, the continent. Yeah. And the ultimate goal is to keep the continent flourishing. Mm-hmm. But it would be kind of sad to have a family that it's like you love them, you're, you're they're your family. But at the same yeah. time, you could never have that sibling relationship no. that I think most lots of people have in mm-hmm. their life. And that's a little sad. It is sad. But, but I think that the common theme amongst royal families is duty comes first. Yes. So that's just kind maybe of like. That, <clears throat> maybe that this is just supposed to be an exaggerated kind of telling of that of like right. oh like to the extreme yeah. yeah i i really enjoyed that uh different dynamic between the Kagan and his children and the competition between the heirs and everything because i found that to be quite a unique way of doing things and it mm-hmm. really um really set like a, a low level tone of tension throughout the story because you have like this this like you know like he, okay, he hasn't chosen the heir yet but it's like probably going to be this guy but we don't know and so like there's mm-hmm. all, you can just feel the competition between the siblings yeah but you can also I feel like this particular group of siblings is maybe a little different than past groups because you also feel a little bit more like they do have that typical like what we would see in western society I obviously don't know how other cultures have sibling relationships, but based on my experience of sibling relationships, you do see a bit of that. Like they do seem yeah. to joke around with each other. Yes. And there is like the one sibling where they're like, oh no, we like, she's not being touched by the competition. <clears throat> Cause I think yeah. another level to it is whoever is picked to be the heir, everyone else is still considered a threat if they have children. So yes. basically, you if you are not chosen, you can't have children. Like you are forced to, and if you like, yeah, would you to want compete, to like? Would you want to have children if you weren't chosen? Because now you have to be concerned for your children's lives because mm-hmm. it's considered a threat, a threat to the person who was chosen. Mm-hmm. So you really are in a kind of sticky situation and the people who you choose to live your life with are in a bit of a interesting situation, but there is the one sister who's already pregnant and there's like this unwritten rule, Duva, that she's not, nothing will happen to her or her children. Like she is safe. They all, like she's not going to really cherish Duva. Mm -hmm. They seem to cherish, and they're all very like protective of her. Yeah. And it's like, so. but maybe it's because she's not a threat and it's like, she doesn't want to be Coggin. She's not going to be Coggin, but they'll yeah. just let her be and do her thing. Yeah. Hassar, whew, she's spicy. She's very spicy. And oh, we're definitely going to be talking about her more because she comes up a lot. She does. 
<laughs> I, I like her. And sometimes I'm like, Ooh. I like her yeah. from afar. I like that I get to read about her and also yeah. never have to live in the same world as her. Exactly, right? Like I wouldn't want <laughs> anything to do with her. But she makes a super interesting character. <laughs> so for the male heirs, we have Argan, who's the oldest, I believe. And he's, I think, less combat on the ground, more intellectual. I think he's the one who has like all the spies and stuff. The youngest brother is Cashin, and he is kind of in charge of all the army. So like foot soldiers, cavalry, that sort of thing. And then there's, I think, the middle brother, I guess he would be, Sartak. And we actually end up learning a lot about Sartak. And he has a really cool kind of role in the family. And he is sort of not the leader of, but is in, heavily involved in the Rook riders. And the Rooks are like these giant eagle things that are kind of like Antica's answer to Waverans. Yeah. But they're like just just ginormous birds. Yeah. So they sound so cool. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really enjoyed learning about Sartak. We will talk a lot more about the Rukin, uh, the Rook and the Rukin riders yeah. later on. I think that comes in part two, where we actually mm. get to go to kind of that part of the southern continent and like get to know the Rukin and that yes. that culture. So that is yes. something to come. But yeah, super super cool. Yeah, part of the story. Loved it actually. It was actually very exciting to read about, but yeah, we'll talk about that in part two. So <clears throat> when Kaol and Nezrin are standing there in, in front of the Coggin and all these people, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sartak, uh, Hassar, Cashin, all, all those guys, Argan. Uh, is Duba there? Doesn't matter. Anyways, probably. Yeah. They actually don't know because they were on the ship leaving mm-hmm. to be, to come to Antica that Rifthold was attacked. They don't know that. But yeah. the cog and like he's got eyes everywhere and everything. And so he he like informs them of this attack. And so they're just standing there like this information is crazy for them to be hearing about their homeland from mm-hmm. like the people they've come to ask for help from. So, yeah, um, I I think that it also is kind of, it almost is like, at least for me, it was kind of like the Coggin was like, we know all this information and you don't. And this Mm -hmm. is your own home that you're from and you had no idea. Like, we are superior, you know? (laughs) He has an air of superiority in this moment, but I also feel that the eldest son, and I just said his name and now I've forgotten it again. Argan. Argan, he he has a he's very very much like he's the information man so he always likes to throw in especially their faces if Mm -hmm. he knows something that they don't and i think he really had a smug look on his face in that moment yeah i think this also was a turning point we talked about how nezrin and kale were in kind of developed a relationship on on the ship on the way over and it sort of seemed to be blossoming. I think this moment where they find out that this has happened really is a turning point in their relationship. Not when they talk about, but at this point, 
pretty much going forward, and the book has literally just started, Nezrin shuts down. She is devastated that she went on this trip. She completely regrets her decision, but is like, this is my duty. Like, I agreed to come. I need to stick this out. But mm-hmm. her family's there, and she is just absolutely beside herself. And things just kind of spiral down for her and Kale from here. Yeah. In regards to their relationship, like yeah. romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Can't blame her. That would be extremely horrifying to learn. Mm-hmm. And she f- probably feels like she's extremely capable with her fighting ability that, you know, she could protect her family, but she's not there. So yeah. that would be awful. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> it's kind of intense because they come like with this mission to to try and like heal Kale and get the Coggin on their side. And then they learn this information and things are just like <laughs> their plan is yeah. basically blown to bits essentially. But mm-hmm. um, I keep bringing up the grieving of the youngest sibling uh, or child because this prevents Kale from actually speaking to the Coggin about how they need assistance because they're mm-hmm. in grieving and they have to respect that. So it's, it's, it's such bad timing for them. Yes. Yeah. This probably could not be the worst timing in on both sides. The fact yeah. that the Coggins family has just lost a member and the fact that Riftold has just been taken over by the witches. It's like mm-hmm. both sides are just devastated and yeah. it has a huge impact on the overall goals that they initially kind of were sent to achieve. Yeah, totally. On the plus side, Kale is granted permission (laughs) to go and see a healer. Um, And in fact, they actually are going to send a a healer to him in the palace so that someone can assess him. And it's, he's granted permission, but at the same time, the Coggin even says like, I don't control the healers. He is a very powerful individual and he controls everything, but the healers are like another level. Yeah. Nobody tells the healers what they can and cannot do. So he's like, you can talk to them if they want to help you. They are free to do so, but that is yeah. out of my control. Yeah. So you exactly. need to appeal to them. <laughs> yes. And yeah, so he does so end up getting. He He does permission um and then we kind of bounce back to a character that we had talked about that we really wanted to have a story from and that's Irene from Assassin's Blade so this is just I I just got goosebumps because I was like so excited (laughs) about it and so what's super interesting is okay so if you remember from Assassin's Blade Irene uh was able to come to Tori Chesme because of Aelin. So mm-hmm. she keeps that note that Aelin gave her in her pocket. Irene's history is that her her town or her, her where she lived, um, she it was decimated by the king's people. Mm-hmm. The evil, Fen the, Harrow, the previous, I believe. Yeah, Fen Harrow. That's exactly right. And so she does not feel kindly towards people who serve the old king. So, of course, Hafiza selects Irene for this particular healing situation because it's her final test Mm -hmm. to becoming like a full healer or whatever at Torre Chesme. 
Um, and it's basically like saying like, can you heal basically your enemy? Can you put your personal uh, feelings aside for this? And mm-hmm. if you can, then you pass the test kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's very powerful, the scene we get of Irene speaking to Hafiza, uh, reflecting back on her first encounter with her and how she, like, brought all this money in and kind of laid it before her and was like, please, like, teach me how to be a healer and, like, like the humbling moment. And it's like, you just, like, really get taken back to Assassin's Blade and kind of all the feelings you had when reading the assassin and the healer and like your like pain you had for her. Cause like if you've read that short story or a novella on her character, it's like so heartfelt. Like it was mm-hmm. probably one of my, in all the novellas, I think it was my favorite one, which is mm-hmm. probably why her character got brought back. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you just feel so much for her in that book. And you're just right, like brought right back to that feeling and that encounter. And it's just like, oh this woman, what she's gone through. Oh, totally. She's gone through a lot. They all have, but I'm so mm-hmm. glad that Irene has become such a important character to this story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, importance is like an understatement and we'll get there, but like she is going to be a powerhouse. I guarantee it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Irene is sent to the palace to kind of check over Kale. And one thing I thought was interesting was when Kale first sees Irene, he notes that her eyes remind him of Manon's. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm like, of all the people that he could have kind of compared her to, he picks Manon. And it's not like he knows her very well. Like, because right. she kind of comes into play later in empire storm so like she's not really with their group a lot and yet he sees her eyes in irene's and i'm like is this telling us something is this have to do with like irene's heritage because we don't know anything about irene's dad we just because like her mom was kind of like a single mom right so but manon's eyes are the eyes of a valg king (laughs) Mm -hmm. so like so i'm like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is very interesting. Yeah. And I don't know. It could be nothing, but I just feel like it's I, – I just wanted to make a note of it because it right? stuck out to me. And yeah. typically when things stick out, they end up circling back. They do. Mm-hmm. And I also was wondering, which is completely a different train of thought, and I don't think both these two things can happen at the same time, but I feel as though, and I maybe I'm wrong, but I wrote down in my notes that all we know about Irene's father is that he comes from Elway. And I also thought it was interesting that mm-hmm. we got that that information because the only other character we know from Elway is Nehemia. So right. I was like, oh, is that trying to tell us something about like, are they related in some way or like distant cousin? I don't know. But like, it, I found it interesting that of all the information we could be given about somebody, that was yeah. what was chosen to be given. That's super interesting. And I think we'll find out. I hope we'll find out. Yeah. But I think there's just more to Irene's character than we know. And I think more than she knows, because if she doesn't know who her father is, that could set it up to be yes. something pretty epic. 
if oh yeah if we want to go down that road i feel like we will because irene is going to be such an important intrinsic part of this story moving forward and like she it's mentioned that she's the top student at tori chesme but mm-hmm. it's not even just that she's a top student it's almost like a savant situation because she's only been there for a couple of years i guess yeah. And she's already like way more skilled than a lot of the healers that have been there for a long time. So her ultimate goal is to return to Aurelia to help people there. And so this final test that we mentioned about healing Kaol, so it's really more about Irene healing herself mm-hmm. when it comes down to it. Um, <clears throat> so I think that this is like, you do definitely, like, as you're reading, you for sure get the vibe that she's not happy about this whole thing. <laughs> she's so sassy and yeah. I am here for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, like, puts Kale in his place immediately and is not putting up with anything he might throw at her. And yeah. it's their dynamic is so <clears throat> fun to read. <laughs> he's, to be fair, he's, like, kind of rude to her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kale's like not a very likable person. Like, if you were to meet him in real life, you'd be like, "This guy's the worst. He's such a... I don't even know like how to describe him. He's just like, I don't know. He's just not very likable. <laughs> like first impressions. I feel. Yeah, I feel like he's not the best in social interactions. <laughs> like he could use some etiquette classes or something. Yeah, totally. He's, he's used very... to just being off on his own, being like the boss. He's, I think that's it. He's used to being the boss. Yes. And I don't know if he does very well in other situations, but he's also he's extremely serious. Yes. Like, so, but so serious. <laughs> yeah. Like... He's, he's used to being like, you know, I am the captain of the guard. I'm going to do, you know, my duty and like yeah. duty and honor is like so, so important to him. Yeah. But I think that the people he is surrounding himself with is helping him to build more of a character outside of just that one kind of yeah. focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the beginning, we talked about how there was the white banners for mourning and that it was the youngest of the Kaganites' children who had unalived herself, or at least that's what is sort of the theory of what happened. Cashin doesn't think that that is what happened. So he goes to Kale, knowing Kale's background and history, and asks him if he can investigate the mystery of this youngest sister's passing. And Kale's kind of like already immediately thinking, Valg, is it Valg? Could it be Valg? So he's asking Cashin questions about this. And at this point, I'm like, I know this is going to be important to the story at, in some way or another. I just wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure how. Mm-hmm. But I think it was something that's, it was an important part of the story, even though it was kind of just like almost like an aside, like he just pops in and is like, hey, but what I like about this is it, almost as bringing me back to like throne of glass OG vibes with this like underlying mystery mystery that needs yeah yeah, like a murder mystery that needs to be solved and I'm like yes yeah (laughs) not that she's gone but like I like this little murder mystery thing that's kind of threaded throughout these books (laughs) yeah definitely uh I thought that was interesting because when we first arrived and found out that they were mourning I was kind of like oh bummer 
huge bummer for everyone, but like bummer for, you know, Aelin and Kaol for the fact that like, it's kind of an urgent situation. They need help, but like, it's just grating mm-hmm. along so slowly. But then when Cashin came in to Kaol and he's like, I need you to investigate this. I was like, okay, so there's something more to this than the fact that it's going to like extend their time here or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, beyond that though, I, I had zero f- theories as to what it could be but i thought it was interesting though that cashin was like i don't think she would commit suicide i don't believe that's what happened so then it's like well then who murdered her (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what so yeah Yeah. very very interesting and then you're left wondering like is this connected to the stuff that's going on like is it the valg or is this something completely different that's going on in antica Yes. It's like, are we going to get a completely other like side story coming in? Mm -hmm. So there was at this point, it was just like such a small bit of information that it left it wide open to what could be done with the storyline. Definitely. Yeah. And then we also find out that there's dark magic attached to his back injury, which I was, were you surprised to find that out? No. I don't no. think so. I think that that makes complete sense. It tracks. Yeah. I mean, also, like, like he was hit with magic in the back. So, mm-hmm. to me, that, and like, yeah. Yeah. It's I a magical injury. We, it's a magical injury from a evil character. So. Yeah. So, makes sense. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> what's super cool about this is that he, okay, so he has a literal physical injury that is preventing him from walk, walking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> preventing him from walk. endings are important yes (laughs) i-n-g um but then there's also like when irene is working on healing him it's really interesting because there's like a really i i almost feel like a psychological therapeutic aspect to it even though they're not like sitting there doing like talk therapy or anything like that mm-hmm. it's this dark magic inside of him that is sort of also woven with his own feelings about himself and how much he hates himself so mm-hmm. i i really appreciated that aspect of the story i think i thought it was really powerful yes I think this is one of my favorite parts of the story is like the theme that is presented through his injury of this kind of physical, but also psychological battle that people can have, Uh, especially people who are battling with changing because Kale is a character who was very set in his ways. And Mm -hmm. this is sort of a journey for him that he's going on throughout this particular book but I think it started back in Queen of Shadows yeah with him kind of being opened up to the world from other people's perspectives yes and it's going to come into play more as the story progresses specifically more as the healing progresses yeah and we get to learn more and more about Kale's story as because it's kind of cool because as Irene is healing him she can sometimes get glimpses into his past but he's like also getting glimpses into his past. So we get to see elements through the healing journey. So it's like, so the physical and the psychological are so entwined and I love how it plays out. Yeah. The way that it is shown in this story is just, just so, yeah, 
meaningful and powerful, I think, and mm-hmm. all applicable to like real life. You know, even though it's done through magic, it, it it's true that it is so entwined, right? Mm-hmm. I think that right off the bat, Irene would love to do talk therapy with them, but Kale is like shutting that down so hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, again, that tracks with his character because he, he's very much like, I think he wants to be unfeeling, but he can't, he can't help that he's, you know, human. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And also something that is kind of going on, like he's very suspicious the Valgar already in Antica. So he's really looking for like signs. And I think he even spoke to Cassian about like, uh, like look for anybody who has like a black ring or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, So he, but like they're looking around, they're like not seeing that. So it's, you're like, well, are they here? But he's, he's got like strong suspicions that they're there already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's no proof. That they no. actually are, just like the fact that like they exist, so obviously they'll eventually go over is the thought. But in knowing that Kale's injury has a root of dark magic, Irene has started to do research. So the thing about the Torre Chesme, not only is it a great place for healing, it has this incredible library. And I think it's like considered the best library sort of in this world in a sense. It might... If I'm remembering correctly, there was like this massive library in Terrison that might have like kind of rivaled it, but that was like destroyed a yeah. long time ago. So this is probably the best library there is in the world now. Yeah. Um, at least close to where they are. And she starts to do some research and learns about the three Valg kings. So we get some yeah. information about them that I think is new information, like the kind of origins of them Mm -hmm. we obviously as readers know a lot about them from bits and pieces but this is sort of telling the origins and there's like this book she finds with like these panel paintings that show sort of like how the valg work and where they came Mm -hmm. from and that sort of thing so that's cool to kind of get to know a bit more about their backstory but also get the fact that they are connected to the southern continent yes so the library ends up getting attacked, though. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, I think she's, like, just walking, and she sort of feels this, like, presence. And she just, like, because of her training that Selena Aylin gave her, she's like, oh, I know what to do. And she, like, kicks into this, like, mode of just, like, survival. And she starts doing the things that, like, she was trained to do. And she actually ends up saving a bunch of people's lives. I think. I think that the attack oh, would yeah. be much could it, worse because oh, she's absolutely. like walks past these people and kind of like commands them in a way that's not like alerting anyone, but yeah. like alerting them. Yeah. And then they have this cool like bell system in the library. It's like one bell means this, blah blah blah, and like three bell means like stuff's going down. Get out. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have it set up from way, way back in the day when they needed that kind of thing. But the system still runs and everyone knows what to do. So she ends up getting everyone out. And now everyone knows like, okay, there's something serious going on here. And this is kind of like the realization that there is more happening. And unfortunately, a person does end up dying. One of the healers does die. And it's like that husk 
like think of air of fire yeah yeah so kaol after this he really wants to make sure that irene is safe and she ends up telling him about the mystery woman back in you know the assassin's blade era um mm-hmm. and and because he was kind of like how do you know how to defend yourself you know and she's like i was taught these moves by this amazing woman and then she kind of like <laughs> like t- and and you're literally just sitting there like are you gonna put it together is gonna put it together <laughs> this is amazing like i was just so excited for him to be like that's alien right but yeah <laughs> oh it, it took a little bit of time but anyway so he she ends up like ask asking him to help her teach like self-defense to the other healers Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is this was really painful for me to read about or listen to because I did the audiobook. Um, but like Kaol, because he's really going through this like uh, identity struggle with the fact that he can't walk and like he's always been so physical and capable in the past. And so I was actually feeling super sorry for him. But anyway, he he manages to like kind of struggle through power through that and then he's like helping Irene and teach the healers these self-defense classes and like once he kind of like is there he's kind of like oh yeah this is like really important (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and I thought the scene was kind of funny and he's like oh so the first thing is this and they're like yeah we learned that week one he's like what about this they're like yeah we covered that the second day (laughs) and then he's like okay this is what we're working with. And then he like gets into the good stuff and they're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like teaching them how to like flip full grown men and like the yeah. guards are like the uh, willing <laughs> participants yeah. to be yeah. flipped and stuff. So <laughs> it was really good. It was a cute scene. It was. So as we mentioned before, there's this kind of aspect of Kale's injury that is more psychological and I think Irene knew that from the beginning that she would need to get reach him like on a psychological level. But through one of her healing sessions, she realizes that's kind of entirely how he needs to heal. Like, yes, she'll use her magic to physically heal him, but the problem isn't the physicality necessarily. It really is the emotional side of the injury that needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And she discovers this in the sense that light is going to be needed to counteract the darkness of the magic that attacked him. And so all of the like self-hate and stuff that Kale has is kind of the biggest battle that they have to be tackling in this, which mm-hmm. is very difficult when Kale refuses to talk to her about anything. Yeah. And so it's, I like that that's the direction that the healing is taken. That is yeah. really, really a focus on this emotional kind of psychological aspect and healing oneself from within. It really felt like he had just basically a psychological and emotional block Mm -hmm. um, that they needed to work through, like almost like a wall that needed to come down. And I just thought it was super cool. Like I just really enjoy, I really enjoy books about like healers. And I really Mm -hmm. love the way that this particular healing situation was approached I thought it was super cool mm-hmm. um I think it it sort of goes without saying like they're working really closely together <laughs> with with this so there is mm-hmm. definitely like I would say some attraction 
coming in yeah. and like you can feel it coming and you're just like I for myself I was like these guys are end game like if they get together they are end game they're gonna be like together it is like Irene is Kaol's person and he is her person but they have a very hot and cold dynamic um <laughs> Which I think that kind of makes sense like when, you know, when you're with passionate relationships, it can be very hot and cold because there's just a lot of big feelings there. Mm-hmm. But um, so, but kind of like bouncing back to Nezrin. So Nezrin's been spending a lot of time with her family that is in Antica. And yeah, it's actually, they're her aunt and uncle. And meanwhile, like Sartak, has been becoming kind of close with Nezrin. And mm-hmm. as we learned more and more about like Sartak and his character, I, was, I really like him. He's, he's quickly becoming one of my sort of favorite characters in this mm-hmm. book. We mentioned earlier Sartak's the Rook Rider. He's the commander of the Northern armies of, of the, of the Rukin. Uh, so he's a very like powerful leadership position for the Rukin. Mm-hmm. Um, Nezrin actually like, grew up and so did the rest of Antica basically probably the southern continent hearing stories about Sartak and Kadara his rook uh so it's kind of cool because it's kind of like he's a celebrity like yes he's royal but he also has this like sort of legendary aspect Mm -hmm. to him and so when she's with her aunt and uncle and like their kids, they would be just like amazed to know that like she kind of hangs out with this guy, right? Yeah. Um, so they actually like they come pretty close to each other. Like um, I want to say like they're f- kind of friends in a way. Um, yeah. But they have, there's a lot of like mutual respect there. And he actually asks her to come to the Tavern Mountains um, where a bunch of like Rook riders live. And mm-hmm. she's really fighting with her duty to stay with Kaol or to, like, go. But then ultimately it's kind of like she – there's, like, some really weird feelings going on between her and Kaol right now because Kaol – like, Irene is, like, jealous that he's with Nezrin but, like, also, like, kind of, like, struggling, you know, the fact that she has this attraction to Kaol who is her patient. But mm-hmm. also and he's, her enemy. like – and her enemy, but she's also like, he's kind of like a, as far as she's concerned, like a taken, he's taken, he's with Nezrin, mm-hmm. right? And because we didn't really see their relationship form, we just kind of heard about it. I was kind of like impatient with that. Like, I don't know how you felt, but I was kind of like, yeah, I get that they're like together, but they, were they like together together? Because Nezrin's kind of, like, leaving him all the time when they're here. And, like, mm-hmm. she's never, like, around. She's always going to her family. It just doesn't feel like doesn't feel like their relationship is, like, a together thing. And they sleep separately and everything. <laughs> yeah. I feel as though they were together, like I said, on the ship. And their relationship was getting to that point where they were more together together. However, the news about her family in Rifthold and mm-hmm. not knowing their safety, I think that kind of just destroyed their relationship. Because at that point, she no longer was kind of there for him anymore. Like she tried to be and she was like doing her very best with like the situation to be, you know, respectful of what he was there to do and to stick by his side. But like emotionally, she wasn't there anymore. 
No. She was doing her kind of duty to be by his side and Mm -hmm. respect his choice and like follow through, Mm -hmm. but her heart was no longer in it. And Mm -hmm. you could tell by the way they were interacting, like they were pleasant towards each other, but there was no love anymore. And they both knew it. Yeah. And I think inside both of their heads, while we're hearing their perspectives, we know that they're emotionally no longer together, but they Mm -hmm. haven't admitted it to each other yet. Yeah. So as readers, we're kind of getting that. Yeah. Yeah. And they had, I I felt like there was a responsibility to like acknowledge that they weren't together before each of them moved on because there's clearly something going on between her and Sartak, something, Mm -hmm. right? And there's clearly something going on between Irene and Kaol, but they're being very like respectful about the way the fact that they're not cheating on each other um, Mm -hmm. or whatever, because they haven't like officially ended it. However, Nezrin, when she decides to go to tab- the Tavern Mountains, and like that's like the chopping point yeah. for their relationship from her side. Very, of from her side, yeah, where she is like, we are for sure not together anymore. I actually felt because um, Nezrin has never been a favorite character of mine, but in this book, the more I got to know her, the more I really started to. Uh, become fond of her character and so when she decided to go I was like cheering for her I was like yes girl mm-hmm. yes yeah good for you <laughs> yeah her character definitely does better without Kale I feel like Kale is Nezrin is what Kale needed in Queen of Shadows but not being with Kale is what Nezrin needs in this book and what they both need ultimately. Yeah. But, and another part of her going on this mission is she has been going and kind of hunting Valg. So Kale's like all for her going on the mission in a way. Like she leaves without telling him other than writing him a note. But Kale knows that she's been working with Sartak and kind of trying to get as much information out of him as possible around like the Valg and like things that are going around in Antica. So she's been kind of on this mission, which is how she's gotten so close to him. And now the premise of her going to the Tavern Mountains is for her to learn more about the Valg. So it's not like she just like took off with this guy. Yeah. She is actually still like on a mission for Rifthold and for like she's still fulfilling her purpose of learning about the Valg and perhaps seeing if the Rukin can be swayed to come to battle. Yes. So who was your favorite character in part one? Irene. (laughs) Yeah. Same here. What about your least favorite? Um, I think that that's a hard one, but I have to go with, I don't even know if it's in part one. I don't know if I had a least favorite character in part one. I was going to say, that it is Hassar in a love to hate her kind of way. But I feel like the hap- like her deviousness happens more in part two. Right. Because we, yeah. we didn't really talk about her other than her introduction here. So, yeah, I don't know if there's anybody. What about you? I think Argon was kind of my least favorite character in part one. Uh, mm. Just because he's not very much on their side of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Argan to me is like, I keep forgetting he exists. That's how yeah. much I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, right. He's just nothing, <laughs> which is so yeah. rude. I'm sorry, but like, no, it's not. He's rude. kind of a snake. He is. And that's why I don't like him. So finally, at the end of part one, Irene and Kale go back to the Torre library to try and find more information on the Valg. Um, Kale, like, there was this huge scene where Kale, like, was trying to tell Irene all about, like, the truth of everything that's going on. And, like, that's really rewinding, but, like, going forward again. Um, so they go back to the library because they're, like, really trying to, like, research all this information. And shortly after, they actually get attacked by Valg there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Kale's rooms, they are attacked, I believe. And yes. they, like, end up locking themselves in the bathroom. Oh, it's and so creepy. The- the Valg is like whispering Irene's name. Yeah, like, in it's a so really creepy, creepy voice. Kind of like horror in a way. And they're like they're like trying to barricade themselves and like trying to figure out like where it could get in. And it's like in the book or in the audiobook, it was like Irene. Oh, and I was I like, Woo, so creepy. You did that perfectly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. But it was so creepy to read, like, the uh, listening to the audiobook, uh, the way that it was said. So well done. But it was such a, like, powerful moment, too, because we learn one, it seems like the Valk is after Irene. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, which is like, mm, okay, why? Like, she's mm-hmm. awesome. I can get why you want to be her friend. But, like, <laughs> mm, what's yeah. going on here? And... We also kind of see how, like, their relationship, because, like, Kale's all like, you get away, I'll fight them. Even though, like, she's like, dude, you're in a wheelchair. Like, I know you're strong, but, like, there's only so much you can do against a Valg. And then so she's like, I'm going to stand and fight with you. And it's, like, the fact that they're both, like, trying to, like, push each other out of the way to save each each other. other. I know. (laughs) And you're just like, okay, you guys love each other. Come on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, I was thinking, like, what was the Valg's – intentions like obviously to get to and kill probably kill Irene or take over her whatever but like Mm -hmm. who's gonna come out to someone going Irene like yeah no one's (laughs) gonna open the door (laughs) like if you literally would just like knock 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 hey Irene are you in there there's an emergency healing situation like you know what I mean there's a way to do it (laughs) maybe Valg aren't the brightest (laughs) I mean what we what we end up learning about them it it tracks that they wouldn't be the most intelligent creatures I I mean like maybe not in this particular world maybe that works back like where they come from (laughs) but I mean they must have uh unless unless this Valg or they just like wanted to inspire fear yeah, I'm just trying to feel like if a Valg for. wanted to come for you, that their a door's not going to stop them. But mm-hmm. so like, yeah. Anyway, I just kind of like was that scene literally just to get across the point that they want like Irene, and also just to be extra creepy. Like, mm-hmm. was it just like to ratchet up the tension or like what? But anyway, maybe I'm thinking too deep. Was it to it. advance their romance, maybe? Yeah, maybe. And, like, like, or how we see them? Yeah. I don't know. It was a good scene either way. <laughs> it was. I'm it not, was. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure what Sarah was thinking when she wrote it, but I love it. It was great. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you very much for joining us today. And in next week, we will move on to part two of Tower of Dawn. We hope to see you then. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you.